Live from Beit Shemesh and broadcasted around the world, you are listening to the From Entrepreneur Podcast with your host, Nahum Kligman. Interviews and advice from Jewish entrepreneurs from around the world. Listen, learn, be Masliach. Welcome to episode 20 of the From Entrepreneur, another great episode ahead of us today. I'm sitting here with some good friends and some really great guys, Baruch Dov and Yehuda Greenman, uh, two-thirds of Rimon Realty along with Yossi Lazary. Uh, we have a great story. We're going to talk about real estate in Israel, uh, specifically maybe in uh, Beit Shemesh. We're going to talk about this new government and how uh, their new policies, will that solve the uh, housing issue or do they have other ideas? We're going to talk about their background stuff. It's really going to be an exciting episode. Thank you so much for joining us. So first of all, guys, thank you for being here and being on the show. You're welcome. And so let's first, you know, first of all, I just want to say, you know, the name of the company is Ramon Realty. I myself have used them. These guys have the most sterling reputation in real estate. I, I don't know about all of Israel, but definitely in Beit Shemesh. If you wanted to know anything about real estate or have any real estate questions or issues, or you want to purchase a house, an apartment, or or a sell, you know, they're definitely my first recommendation. Just a good bunch of Emistica guys that just really work hard for you. And, you know, I can't recommend them highly enough. So, uh, you know, when besides my interviews, you know, when I can interview a company that I actually believe in and that I know the people, um, it's Excites me even more because I, lo- I really do love these guys. So welcome to the show. Why don't you first give us a little overview about Ramon Realty, what you guys do, what services you have, uh, and then maybe we'll go a little bit into uh, your story. Okay, my name is Yehuda Greenman. I'm the younger brother of this of this duo. As you mentioned, we have another partner, Yossi Lassery, and uh, we're the owners and the brokers, and we're the guys that make the magic happen. I want to cut in just a little bit, uh, just for a second, on Yossi Lassery because I I know him uh, when he was a worker for Yerucham Gelb and Falafel and Chips in Lakewood, uh, you know, which is uh, now Glopite. So a little shout out to uh, my buddy Yerucham and uh, you know my love Yossi, who when he's not doing real estate and he's not doing law, he's he's a rapper, right? Yossi's got a lot of talents. Yossi is a lawyer. <laughs> Yossi right. is a rapper. Yossi he writes his own lyrics that really can tremendously profound. Maybe I'll link to some of them in the uh, in the show notes. Yes, he's a great b-ball player. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's a great b-ball player, and uh, he's also a bit of a fashion guy when it comes to his clothes. Yes, I didn't want to really you know go into it, but that is true. He he's is a good guy. He's a good guy. He's a solid guy, and he's a smart guy. So let's talk a little bit about what Remon Realty does. I think our greatest claim to fame is that we sell more previously owned homes in the Beit Shemesh area than any other office. We also deal in first-hand sales uh, representing uh, new real estate projects in Ramat Beit Shemesh Aleph in the new neighborhoods, which is Mem Shalosh, Gimel 1, Gimel 2, Mishkafayim. Uh, we work in development also. We put together a an investor and a big builder, and we won one of the auctions in Mishkafayim. We're going to be putting out exclusively 34 really cool apartments there. Oh, that's awesome. It is awesome. It is awesome. It's going to be the first apartments in Beit Chemish that have a legal rental unit. Uh, it's... Uh, the registration is for the with the government is for a big apartment with a separate clinic. So that's really pretty exciting for all thirty four uh, apartments. All thirty four. So that's, that's fantastic. That's what we do. So that's what we live and and breathe and eat every day is real estate in Ramat Beit Shemesh. Excellent, excellent. So I mean, okay. First, I don't know if you could tell by the you know I'm talking to my listeners now. I don't know if you could tell by the accent. These guys uh, are not. They weren't born here exactly. We are not native Israelis. We are, <laughs> we've been here many years. We've been here 25 years. So tell me about 25, both of you? Yeah. So tell me about the agreements. I know you guys are, uh, Texas based. Are you, you were born, you were born in Texas? We were born in Texas. This is Baruch David Greenman, the older of the two. We were born in Fort Worth, Texas, as was our father. Uh, we were a part of the society there for many years of our life. And I came to Israel towards the end of college 
with the goal of traveling and got hoodwinked into Asia Torah, which started a process for me. I met Yehuda on the way back from Israel to, met him in France. Well, I assume you met him when he was born. Yeah, but I, I rejoined <laughs> paths. We, we crossed paths again on purpose in France and sat on a glacier in Switzerland and talked about the amazing things that I'd experienced in Israel. And he thought I'd definitely gone off the deep end. <laughs> and he joined me the next year to humor me with his tickets and passports and visas and shots to go to Africa for a walk around Africa. Fortunately, he never made it to Africa because he ended up staying in Israel and being Choser Bechuva also. I think it's worth backing up yeah, let's one, one step. How we're, do we get from Texas to... Uh, we're, we're from Fort Worth, Texas. We're seventh generation American reform. Seventh generation? Yeah, we were the Civil War on the north, on the north. In the, with the Greenman name? On, on the north. Uh, Herskowitz. We're, we're direct descendants of the Shlaw. So wow. So it would be Horowitz. But long story short, we, you know, around... One second, I, seventh generation Jewish... Texans. Okay, that's awesome. Merchants, obviously, you know, down in uh, Kansas. So long story short, when I was about 14 and Barkdad was about 15, we woke up one morning and we looked around and came to this simultaneous recognition that, you know, we have, thank God, the world's greatest parents, coolest grandparents, great grandparents. It's a great life. Nothing's lacking, but we are going to be out of here like Vladimir. Why is that? It just, it, it seemed like a one dimensional life. And it was not what we were looking for. Um, and having been brought up reform in Fort Worth, Texas, where they took us to investigate every religion. They took us to ashram. They took us to all the different churches. You know, our, our own shul shared the choir with a black Baptist, uh, church next door. Oh, that's right? that's yep. a good monetization. I mean, yum, it's a, hey man, yum, money. Ki- yum Kipper, we had the most rocking <laughs> Southern black choir you ever seen Are in you your kidding life. Me? No, I am not kidding you. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> so when we wake up at like 14 and 15 and we're like, dude, we got to get out of here. Since Reform Judaism had presented itself as the end all and only answer of Judaism. And they had never told us that there were Jews that believed in Torah or Jews believed that the Torah was given by God, not Shabbos, not Kashrus, nothing. So obviously there was nothing to investigate in Yiddishkeit. The, they taken us So you to, didn't know about orthodoxy growing up? They had taken us to the most extreme branch of, of Judaism in Fort Worth, which was the conservative shul, and they showed us their dry mikvah. <laughs> so we looked at each other and we said, there's a, a lot of world out there. We got to... We got to see what's happening, who's living, living the life. So we took the world and divided it in half. I went west and he went east. And over the next six years, I think I was in. I don't say when you're 14, 15 or is this after high school? No, after high school. I start, we started right away. I went to Mexico for summers. He started a little bit later, but we started traveling and any way possible, exchange students, whatever we could finagle, um, which was not a word we knew. <laughs> and I think by the time we got here, I'd been to 41 countries and Bark David had been to 30 something countries and we covered most of the world. And he, Bark David got deathly ill in India, almost oh, died. Wow. And ended up somehow in a hospital in Egypt in quarantine. And my parents had to fly down there because not sure if he was going to make it. And while he was basically dying in a hospital room in Egypt, literally dying, wow. infection from well, here head is to this? toe. This is after the peace. This is nineteen eighty, probably eighty eight, eighty nine, something like that. So yeah, so, it was eighty eight. So t- tell me about that. So, so first of all, there was peace with Egypt at that. Yeah, we had peace with Egypt. Yeah, in we had peace with Egypt. I was, uh, but you were a Jew. You didn't. You didn't. You weren't Israeli. You had nothing. You weren't no, Israeli with Israel would, at all. But I was in the boat. The the boat I was on passed through the Suez Canal, and I was too sick for the ship doctor. So they took put me off with a nurse, and they put me. They just chose to put me in Port Said. And then when I was too sick for the hospital there, they decided to transport me four hours to Cairo instead of taking me to Israel. Yeah. And why 
why'd they send you to Israel? Israel probably- it, it, it was Ashkacha Pratis. There's no reason. I almost died while I was there in the hospital. It got worse while I was in the hospital. If you're in quarantine, they don't know what you have. You would think they would have proper procedures. The doctors would come in, put on mask, gloves, and slippers, take a blood sample, and then put the mask, gloves, and slippers back in the box, and the next doctor would put them on. Oh, my gosh. After about five days, my parents took me out against the will of the hospital and took me back to Texas. But when I was in the hospital dying in Egypt, I laid there at night listening to the Muznin the prayer call for the Arabs, for the Muslims. And I said, you know, if there's a God, then I'm going to find out what it means to be Jewish. Just get me out of this. And that wow. was like, you know, there's not an atheist in a foxhole. That's what it was. And lo and behold, I got back to Texas. I got well. And What'd you have in the end? I had and my systems shut down, heart, liver, lungs, and other major body parts. But when you're talking about lack of exposure to Judaism... When I was on the plane for my first time to come to Israel with no spiritual goals, just coming to Israel to travel, I said, I've seen the world. I haven't seen Israel. I was on the plane. I, that was the first time I'd ever seen tefillin or tzitzis. I had to ask a, a conservative girl on the plane, what are these guys with these boxes on their heads? Wow. You know, you're talking about two guys with college degrees. You know, Bart David spoke two languages. I spoke four languages, been around the world and never seen a pair of tefillin. Didn't know you couldn't eat a cheeseburger. So we're talking about, and, 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 and these are smart guys. I mean, you're telling me, you, you know, it, 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 it's, uh, we're talking, it's, it's a, it's a miracle that we're here, but and you had bar mitzvahs, I assume. And we, yeah, for, you know, we got, we got a lot of pens. So <laughs> I'm living in Europe and my brother goes to Israel. And as he mentioned, gets hoodwinked and taken to Asia Torah. And he starts sending these letters about having fun. Well, did you get picked up by the Kotel? Like, how did that... Uh... Mayor, Mayor Schuster's henchman. Seidel? Oh, oh yeah, Seidel. Jeff Seidel? His, yeah, but his guy is uh, Shalom Weber. Shalom Weber. Shalom Weber, okay. And so we're getting these letters from Israel, right? My parents in Texas and me in Europe, you know, that he's seen the light, you know? <laughs> and we're freaking out. We're, in, the, in other words, in other words, so growing up in the Bible Belt, when you see a guy sending letters about seeing the holy light, you know, obviously... <laughs> But that's, <laughs> that's a very nice people, a, a new way of life, interesting things, a whole new way of looking at things. I never said anything about the light. <laughs> when, you, when you're talking about a guy, when you're from the Bible Belt, you know, where people, you know, have, you know, healing and handle snakes and speak in tongues and a guy's talking Bible stuff, we get scared. So he comes and meets me in Europe and I wake up in this $2 hotel. This is in ho- France or Switzerland? France at the time. I wake up in a $2 hotel in Paris and there's my brother with his ponytail and these black boxes on his head. <laughs> you know, and shaking right, his head pictures, towards guys. the we wall. Got, we need some pictures of this. Yeah, stuff. this is an audio <laughs> podcast, so no pictures. No, we're gonna post it on the so he, show notes. <laughs> now, at the time, we had a 1984 Volkswagen camper van, and the plan was to drive in Texas. In Texas, okay. The plan was to drive from Texas through Central America, all the way through South America, get to Tierra del Fuego down in the end of Argentina, get on a boat, get to Antarctica, get back to Argentina, drive. Back up South America, back up through Central America, travel with the Grateful Dead for a year, okay, <laughs> selling all the stuff that we picked up in, in, in South and Central America, then drive to the East Coast of America, sell the van, and buy two tickets on the Trans-Siberian Railroad and go from Budapest to Beijing over a year, traveling through communist Russia, <laughs> So now, I don't know. See, like it sounds like you're joking, but you're so serious about this. This, this was is, the plan. This is the plan. So now, so now my <laughs> now my brother has seen the happy light. Yeah, yeah. And he says, oh, so this is like this puts like a little uh, wedge into your plan there. So he says, listen. So he needs a litmus test because things are too good to be true in, in Yiddishkeit. He says, hey, 
why don't you come to Israel for three weeks? Right. Beautiful girls, and you can stay for free on a kibbutz. I don't know what a kibbutz was. So, and then you'll, then we'll do South America and Eastern Europe and the whole bit in Beijing. And I'm like, no problem. So I go and it's funny. You guys never thought about putting Israel on your itinerary. Why would you go to this oppressive anti Arab, you know, right wing military? We're bleeding heart liberals. You don't go to Israel. Wow. Even back then. Betach. We didn't say Betach. <laughs> so he says to me, come to Israel for three weeks. Right. So I get to Israel for three weeks. And what happened to the glacier in Switzerland? Was this before or after you coming to Israel? Well, that was, he just conv- laying, he's laying the groundwork. Okay. So I'll shorten the story, but we get to Actually, Israel. Actually, don't. I'm really enjoying this. <laughs> we get to Israel, and I have a one-way ticket to Israel, and then yeah. a one-way ticket to Tanzania, and I had the dumbest plan ever. I was going to walk from Tanzania to South Africa over the course of a year on foot. Oh, that makes sense. Which I, is I the dumbest that. thing, which is... <laughs> You know where that takes you? Do you know how many minefields, blood diamonds? It was a nut thing. Long story short, we never left. And 25 years later, thank God I'm married with a family. My brother's married with a family. We own homes. We have a Baruch Hashem, a successful business. And uh, that's just, that's amazing. So that's, I mean, this is wild. I mean, I've known you guys for a bunch of years now, but this story is just wild. First of all, are there any, are there any other Greenman uh, siblings or is it just the two of you? Nope. They broke the mold after the two of after us. After two, they said, <laughs> okay, so this is the two of you guys. And I mean, first of all, it's an incredible, uh, really crazy, incredible story. So you were there for three weeks. You got hooked and that was in, you guys just never left Israel. Pretty much. When After I was here the first time, when I was writing the happy letters, I dobbed hard <laughs> that I would find some way to make some money and come back. I went back to America, started a painting contracting business, had amazingly wild success, and then came back the next year with Yehuda. Me planning to stay three months, him planning to stay three weeks. He stayed eight months and then came back and helped me wrap up my second season of, of painting. And, uh, and then we both came back after that. Right and we, before we came back, actually, we decided to make a road trip around the West Coast of America as we didn't see ourselves as East Coast Jews. We figured we were, our plan was to go to Israel for a year to learn how to learn. Right. And then come back to America. So we made a, a, a road trip on our old, uh, trusty Bob, the Volkswagen van <laughs> up the, from Texas the, to the West Coast of Vancouver and back to check out Jewish communities. Then we sold the van and we came to Israel. And since then, we've been here. Wow. And so what did you guys do when you were here already? Like you didn't go into real estate right away. I mean, you're talking no, about no. this we, is we 20... came, we came with a one year plan to learn how to learn. And again, uh, Hashgacha Pratis directed us to an amazing yeshiva in the old city called Birchus Torah, where they changed the plan from a kolo to a yeshiva and took my brother and I in and a couple of other fellows. And we started a, a small cohesive group, a kihila, a chabura. And we all got married within about a two month period of each other. Wow. Within the next year after that. And most of us are all still friends and still in touch. And we were Zoha to stay and learn there for 10 years, Yehuda and I. Beautiful. Under the same Rebbeim, developed very special relationships and uh, became Musmachim we, we, uh, during that process. Beautiful. Really, really great story. Okay, so you're 10 years in Kolel. This is going back, I guess, what, 2000? Yeah. 2000. And then how did we get into real estate? How did we get to Ramat Chemish? What were you guys doing from that point? You decided to leave Kolel and... Uh, a natural just, step after that was since also since we felt we had what to offer, we started teaching. Yehuda focused more on teaching in girls' seminaries, and I was teaching in uh, boys' post-high school yeshivas, both focusing on American institutions. Uh, we both did that for about 10 years. Wow. I had, I, we had some... Interesting side jobs in the middle to try to make ends meet. Right. Selling flowers door to door, selling jewelry on the street, painting houses at night, various jobs. Uh, I went out of Colel and teaching for a year to work in construction and it was okay to come back after that. 
So we were, we were involved in learning and then teaching for almost 20 years. And then during that period of time, I think as uh, other Westerners in Israel, I came to the realization that anybody that would open up a business, be it Chinese food, dry cleaning, or any business, and offer good service, it was something that was lacking in the current environment. And I figured that that would be a, a success story in any industry. So we started looking around and said, what industry needs honesty, this is about integrity, and good now. service? This is about 2010 now. Yeah. Okay. And so, you're living in your shalim? No, we were already here. We've been in Ramat Bishemish since uh, about... Uh, for almost about 10 or 12 years now. You okay. came in touch before me. So we started looking around seeing where is there a lack of those qualities? And we said, <laughs> real estate is lacking those. So let's offer to do it with integrity and service like nobody's ever seen. And that was the motto and the, the stepping stones for us opening up this business. And so how did Yossi uh, come into the picture? We started the business with another individual. He left the business. And uh, so the, Barak David and I were the owners of the business. And uh, a mutual friend said, listen, I got this great guy who is uh, smart and capable and he has experience in real estate. And Yossi came in as uh, as an employee. He hit the ball out of the park. You know, he met all the demands. He got the rental car. He got the cell phone. He got all everything we had to offer for a person hitting the, the quotas. And we turned to this guy and said, listen, let's, you know, be one of us. And we decided to be three partners. And it's uh, it's been fantastic since. So we opened, I think we're First here First of all, I just show something about your personalities, about who you guys are, because, you know, after you've already built up the business to extent, you have this guy working for you to take that leap and make him a partner. Uh, I think, you know, kudos to you guys. All modesty in place. We had started the business. Things were going well, but yes, he helped us take it to a whole nother level. No, but you showed that appreciation. You made him a partner. I mean, that, that's... I mean, Yossi had been in a very competitive market. He'd been in Yerushalayim and Ramat Eshkol and, you know, taking clients that just couldn't take the leap to buy mm-hmm. and got them to buy sellers that could not sell. If there's a problem solver and a guy that can get in somebody's head and help them understand what they're feeling and thinking, that's Yossi. And if you know Yossi, you know, yeah. you appreciate that quickly and you say, Hey, we want that guy to stay. <laughs> so you've been a part of it. That's great. So three years. So you started. So, uh, so you started Ramon in uh, about 2010, uh, 2009, 2010 and things were going well. But you know, like my brother said, Yossi, he brought us up a, a you know, a whole notch. Mm-hmm. And it's why, why the name Ramon when you guys started? So that's an I interesting. I mean, I know it's obviously it's one of the Shevaminim and, uh, Shevaminim wasn't really an issue. We were looking around and we said, listen, descriptive names really may not be the way to build a brand. And we just sat down and started thinking about it. And, you know, the cell phone. Like, oh, I get an Apple, Apple Ramon. Or it said, <laughs> look at the cell phone companies. Orange. Cellcom, not a great name, in right. my opinion. Telephone, right? It's also not a great name. Right. Orange. Look at that. It has nothing to do with cell phones. Okay. Right. But it's a very, it comes off your tongue. It sticks in your head well. So we went through, you know, and we, that was the one that worked well. And also we figured since we have this logo of this cartoon pomegranate, right, which it is just great. looked better than a date, right? It looked better than a, <laughs> a fig and an olive or a fig, <laughs> you know? And, and the funny thing is, the funny thing is it's really recognizable. We have national recognition on that cartoon guy. So much so that there's another guy in the country that has a business in real estate named Ramon, but he's a native Israeli and he spelled it R-E-M-O-N. So nobody got that. So, but it didn't. Well, he's it, probably like Remax Ramon. Right. But it, did, it didn't, it didn't touch us at all because, right. you know, the, our logo is so well known. Sure. And there was a Another real estate company in town that decided to build a logo of an apple with a face on it, and it looked exactly like ours. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I was a little upset, but it was funny because the guy, another guy working in that office, 
said to the owner, hey, man, don't you understand that every time you pay for an ad and put that guy in there, you're just paying, paying for, for Remo. It. That's right. <laughs> so, but, you know, that's another 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 office that no longer exists. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, let's talk about the real estate market. I mean, you know, I've, I've been in uh, business for a number of years. And the one thing I, uh, you know, I've seen here in Israel is like, this is one industry I would not want to get into. I mean, everybody and their brother... Oh, no pun intended. You know, wants to start their uh, a real estate uh, agency, and it is a very. It seems to be cutthroat. Like anytime you know you want to put up an ad, and or you you want to sell an apartment, you'll have six people at your door the next day. Hey, we want to sell. We want to we want to sell it for you. We want to list it for you. You know, people want to get their exclusive, but it's like. I mean, is there enough business out there for every? I mean, you just said one closed, and I'm sure I know of others that have closed, but. First of all, building, you guys did it right. You build it on a sterling reputation that we are honest guys, we're good guys. But, uh, you know, this is a tough market, no? It's a tough market, but, you know, a lesson that we learned, we come from, uh, thank God, a very strong family. And one of the lessons that I picked up, we picked up as youngsters from our father and our grandfather was it may take a lifetime to build a good reputation, but it could take a moment to lose it. So we always try to remember that whenever we're trying to sell an exclusive or sell a house, that whatever answers we give, we're going to have to answer them after 120. And we're always surprised that that is not the general hush with other agents. Mm-hmm. So we have seen numerous, numerous times where there's been clients that would say, we want to sell our house or a buyer that would say, we want to buy a house or somebody wants to make a transaction in real estate. And it's happened numerous times when we've been able to tell people that our conclusion is that it's not worthwhile for you to sell. You're not going to accomplish your goals. And people are usually surprised because they only think that we want to make the commission. We're not here to just make a commission. We're interested in our name. And a 2% commission is a short sight. We're interested in the 10% commission that's going to come from when Nachum Kligman tells another five people, you should use Remo Realty because they are honest and they're going to watch out for you. Right. It's a very good point. Yeah. It's a great, you know, there are a lot of agents in the field. You know, you open up the phone book today. I don't know if you're going to find 17 or if you're going to find 20. So the questions that we ask a seller say, listen, yeah, a lot of people came to you to list your home, but number one, did you ask the guy, how many houses did he sell last month? Mm-hmm. How many houses did he sell in the last 12 months? Right. That's really a litmus test. How long did it take to sell those homes? And I think a big thing is you have to set a business up right. We have a real office. It's true. Beautiful office. We have, you know, somebody live answering the phone 24 hours a day. We always try to get back to our clients every day if we've missed a call. Somebody needs an evaluation of a home. We're usually there within 60 minutes. And also advertising. You know, if you don't have the money to invest in reaching out locally, nationally, and internationally, how you can be be able to really service those clients. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I mean, so it is a cutthroat, but you guys have been able to stand out by constantly producing and by word of mouth. And you're right. If you care about your client, it's not, if it's, you don't focus on the 2% commission, you focus on what is best for my client. And even though it may take longer for you to see the, uh, terms, returns from that, but you know, you're, you're building something for the long term and you, uh, you know, you want to see, you know, that's definitely leads and is a tremendous secret to success that, don't concentrate on the now, concentrate on the, you know, on the business itself. And I think that's fantastic. And you're right. If someone says, wow, these guys were not just my commission. They told me it's better for me not to sell now. And you're right. When they, when someone comes to them, they want to sell their, their place. They're going to come to you and, and they are going to recommend Ramon because you guys showed clearly you're about their best interest. Yeah. You also have to build a business. When we opened up, we said, you know what we're going to do, right? We have business experience. We don't have real estate experience. Let's dabble in rentals. And we focused on rentals. We saw we could hit it out of the park like that. Let's focus on previously owned homes. We did that. 
We did very well at that. Let's also add projects to the menu. We sold a tremendous amount from the builders in Gimel, in Gimel One. Let's move it up a notch. Let's get our own project. We've got that underway. So it, it, it's a process. It's taken years, but it, it builds a substantial base. Great. When you say focus on what's important, I took around a client to see approximately 15 homes about four years ago, four and a half years ago. We finally found a home that was to her liking. She said, I'm willing to make X offer. I wrote it down. It was ready to go and fax it to the contractor that this is their offer. Along but between the house and our office, I ran into another broker and I said, oh, my agent, my, my client is about to buy X house. He said, oh, didn't you know that the house next door has a potentially problematic neighbor? He may be predatory. I said, that's terrible. Wow. I made some calls with the local authorities that are involved in these things. And they said, yeah, he's not convicted, but there's a lot of smoke. I immediately pulled over, called the buyer and said, I really don't think I want you to buy this house. Wow. That's, you know, it may sound like a lot of money, but that's a, that's a 34,000 shekel commission, but I don't want 34,000 shekels that's tainted. And she walked away from it. And in the end, she didn't buy a house from us. They bought something else, but I would never would have wanted that 34,000 shekels. Wow. So you, you really, you had the seal, I mean, you had the deal done and they, they put you in, you know, you happen to pass on the way to, to signing off in that deal. And you hear that story and you take action and you know, you, you look out for the best, for what's best for the customer, even though you lost the commission on that. I think that's uh that's fantastic. I and mean, it's really great. As Bonk Devin mentioned before, you know, you have to look at the long term, and that's what you highlighted also. There are brokers out there that work half a percent, one percent, one and a half percent. So people are surprised when we, when, you know, our business is based. You're buying, you're selling, it's a two percent plus VAT, right? So people say you can get it as a discount, but that answer always is the same. It's not about two percent, because if we do it right for you now, it's really going to be 10%, 20% because of the business that's going to come from that. And a lot of people come to us. It's really maybe a crisis time. Sure, there's plenty of people that are upgrading. It's a big simcha. They're going from three rooms to four rooms, four rooms to seven rooms. You know, families coming. They're making aliyah. Lots of people coming to the country. But you also get a lot of people that are in a financial crunch and they're not able to pay their mortgage and they're thinking of selling their home. So... That's a terrible thing, right? That's true. When you have to go in there and uh, deal with that, that's, uh, I guess, one of the painful parts. But yeah, you want to help those people even more, I guess, get the best deal that they can. Well, I would, what I'd really like to do, if yeah. I get, sure, if the guy's got to sell, he's got to sell. We're going to get the best deal possible, the most money in his pocket possible. But the real simcha is when you help a guy not sell his house. Wow. Right. So you guys so, do that also. I, so we, a number of times people are like, I can't believe this. There's a real estate in here, agent in here. You're supposed to be, you know, a commission hungry kind of guy. Right. But I mean, imagine having to sell your own house because you can't make ends meet. And if there's a way to turn that around, it's either a refinancing, it's either finding some type of rental income or just looking at a different way that that's the biggest simcha. And a lot of people don't understand the whole process that they, to be able to provide somebody with an Excel spreadsheet of what it's really going to cost to sell. Is it worth it? If to upgrade, is it really going to be something they can afford? I mean, God forbid there, you find it all the time. People buy a firsthand home. And by the time at the end of the process, they realized there's 70,000 shekel over their budget, 100, 120. They didn't know about the building index. They didn't factor in what real, what air conditioning is going to cost, what bar is going to cost, the fact that they're going to be renting for three years because they're buying on paper. It's all an information business. Wow. Fantastic. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about, so are there, what are the real estate opportunities now? I mean, we hear about, I think there was just a law that was, uh, or there was a court battle 
between not allowing land in, I guess, Dalid or uh, Ramat Beit Shemesh Dalid. Hey, now finally that was cleared. And now there's going to be lots of building opportunities. They're expecting about another 100,000 people to this area over the next five years, uh, 10 years, right? What's the opportunities here, real estate investment opportunities here in the market today? I'd like to back up a step if possible. Sure. This is Baruch David speaking. People always ask me, are these price increases sustainable? And I can look back at a few factors and say, I don't know about the future, but I can see what's happened in the past. I do know that myself, seven years ago, I started looking at buying a second property as an investment. And at the time I was looking at some properties on Nachal Uria, one block above my house. And then a four room house, which is in America called a three bedroom, was about 700 to 800,000 shekels, call it $200,000. And I said to myself, I've passed the, the peak of the market and it's just a bad time to get in. Those houses now, seven, eight years now, down the line are selling for about 1.3 to 1.4. They were just about doubled in price. Wow. So is that sustainable? So we've had meetings with many bank managers. They come to court our business often. And a bank manager has told me something, which I verified afterwards, that the religious community in Israel has about 8,000 weddings a year. And that requires a lot of new homes to be purchased or rentals. Wow. A lot of first home, a lot of newly married couples in Israel or Zoha somehow to be, uh, have a house bought for them. And if you, can, that's a whole nother uh, episode. <laughs> that's a whole nother episode. So if you need about 8,000 new homes a year and the production of houses that is good for the religious to Haredi community is about 1,500 to 2,000 homes a year, then you have a tremendous uh, imbalance between supply and demand. Right. So the new movements by the government to make taxes steeper to discourage second home buyers, investors, overseas investors, which are all seen as part of the reason why there's not enough houses and therefore high prices. I think that's a band-aid that's not going to take away the schism or the, the discrepancy between the supply and the demand. And therefore, I believe that the prices could continue to rise. So, I mean, I guess the only solution really is, is you just need more supply. You just got to keep, you got to build like crazy, you know, make it you know, the, the permits easier to get and uh, start building at a faster pace. So in the absence of opening up a lot of lands to be developed, then there will probably be a continued rise in well, prices. Is that, isn't that what's happening now? Isn't that why Cologne came on uh, as finance minister? And isn't that what's going on in the government? And it's a good segue into that. Like, you know, they're saying, hey, we're going to, you know, what is it? Like 80 something percent of the land is owned by the Jewish, the JNF, Jewish National no, Fund, right? Uh, no, the the Israeli Land Authority. Oh, Israeli Land Authority. Why are they holding on to it? Let, open it right. up. Let's start building like crazy. And isn't that what, what the government but, has but said they're going to do now? Let's look like this. You know, if, if you're a non-religious person, person, okay, and any wide range of, you know, secular schools are good for your kids and any kind of neighborhood may work for you. So if they're going to open up something in the far north, right, okay, it may be very attractive to you. But the religious population really isn't going to go just anywhere. So, I mean, a, a perfect example is Ramat Beit Shemesh Gimel. Okay, there's Gimel 1 and Gimel 2. Gimel 1 is now completed. Gimel 2 is now being sold on paper. We have a lot of great options there. But so look at Gimel 1. It's the next hill over from Ramat Beit Shemesh Aleph, 2,220 units produced in three years. Wow. To put that in perspective, Ramat Beit Shemesh Aleph has 4,500 units. So I'm building a new neighborhood that's half the size of Aleph, and everybody says, what's going to happen? It's going to make the prices go down in Aleph. Right. And it 100% has not. Those 2,220 units have been sold. People are moving in, and secondhand sales have already started, and those prices are even higher than Aleph, and Aleph prices continue to go up. So I think that's a very strong case for the fact that as much as we can keep pushing out, go ahead. Now let's do 
Gimmel 2. More homes. There's just... How, how, many, how many homes are planned for Gimmel 2? I don't have the number in front of me. It's just... It just but it doesn't matter because if you build Gimmel 2 and it's another 2,000, 3,000 homes, that's gone, you're saying, and but it's, it's going to go but up. it takes three years till people get those keys. Minimum. It, so you've got 24,000 Haredi couples, Shomer Shabbos couples that got married. They're not building 24,000 homes. So is is this? I mean, what about you know? If you're from, uh, if you're, let's say, a Haredi uh, person that you're getting married, what are your options? I mean, Yerushalayim is already there's nothing there. The prices are crazy. So is it really Ramat Beit Shemesh, or is well, or is there areas of Kirat Sefer? I believe that Ramat Beit Shemesh Aleph is the number one destination for the Haredi population. I think that's a fact. Definitely for the English speaking, but it's also for the Israeli. If you're buying a secondhand home. A two bedroom in Aleph, it's going to cost you over one million shekel. It's a million and fifty would be a bargain. A million one, a million one fifty, a million two. If you're going to buy on paper in Gimel two, we have a bunch of good options that the person could buy uh, a two bedroom for what about a million shekel. But you hear it still; these are these are the prices. But a million shekel for two for two bedrooms for a three room apartment. So what is that? It's about uh, $270,000 or so. No, it's more than that. You know what you could get in Houston for $270,000? Yeah, well, this, this ain't Houston, <laughs> this ain't baby. Houston. This ain't Houston, baby. <laughs> so to answer your question in a nutshell, supply and demand, we believe the prices will only continue to rise because the Shomer Shabbos population is very particular about where they want to live, the communities, the schools, the shuls. How do you address that problem? And as much as you open up Gimel 2 and Dalit, and Hay, and all these neighborhoods, they just get snapped up, and the per-meter price keeps rising. And who's buying? Are, are investors buying them, or are, peop, are families buying them? What's the... Uh... Both. Both. And despite the fact that the government made, as you alluded to, new laws to make it more difficult to invest. What were the new laws? Higher purchase tax, and you can take less of a loan. A person buying a first home, if they're Israeli, and have a two-dot zahut, they can get or they live here at least 50% of the year, they can get a 70% mortgage. If you're buying a second home or you're not considered Israeli or Israeli resident, you can only get a 50% loan. So, But an Israeli could buy, like for example, if I want to buy apartments for my kids, am I going to be penalized for that? Yes, because we're trying to minimize, the government's trying to minimize that, right? Let's make it easier for a first home buyer. Well, but, my kids are first home buyers. I'm just, No, but they have to be 18. Oh, I see. Okay. So yeah, anybody investing? But this, even so... We haven't seen the investors run away. They're still buying homes. It's just the cost of doing business. They can take less of a loan. They have to pay more purchase tax. It's fine. They know it's a great place to put their money. They have capital So real estate today is still a, uh, a bull market. It's a seller's market. We have not seen any slowing down in business since the change of the laws. Wow. Things are great. So it's funny. Rav Lazer Brody, I mean, he spoke recently uh, here in Ramapay Chemish, and, and he, I mean, he's spoken over the years. And about four or five years ago, he spoke and he told people that they should leave America, buy real estate in Israel, and I guarantee you the prices go up. And people that listen to him, and I and I know because you know, I was at a event he spoke at a couple months ago, and people questioned him, said, remember when you said that, what happened? And he said, there are people in this room that bought on paper or bought apartments or bought homes that are now worth double the price or triple the price that it was four or five years ago. So awesome. I mean, so and, and you're saying today also, you buy now on paper, by the time the city's built, you know, the demand is still going to be there. The demand is not going to dry up anytime soon. I'll even tell you even stronger. I live in a part of the neighborhood which is called Mishkanis Yaakov, and it's similar population <laughs> as a lot of the people that are buying or moving to Gimel. And neighbors asked me two years ago, is now a good time to sell? Because are the prices in our neighborhood going to go down as the same population that used to look at buying in our neighborhood, they're going to buy in Gimel. And I said, I think that's a very strong case that now is a good time to sell because maybe our prices have peaked. Wrong. 
the prices in our neighborhood have still gone up eight to ten percent, even with Gimmel opening up. Wow! And then when I looked, I remember when we started marketing Gimmel, I started looking at the prices, and we kept asking ourselves, "Are these achievable prices? Can anybody make money buying property at this?" Three, four years ago, this, this I'm looking at a price list that I found cleaning up the office. This is about two and a half years ago. A five-room apartment on the first floor was a million one hundred and fifty. If I had those, you were in, in Olive, and that was in Gimmel. That was, that was a new construction two and a half years ago on paper. A five-room apartment, meaning a four-bedroom apartment, one floor up, a million one hundred and fifty. Those apartments right now, we can sell them for a million five hundred at the drop of a hat. Wow! So now we're selling in in Gimmel, a Gimmel two. A similar apartment would be a million three hundred and fifty. There's no reason to think that when that's finished in two and a half, three years, that's not going to be worth a million six, a million seven. Wow. So first of all, if you can Americans call you and you take American clients, you only deal with uh, Israeli clients. We deal with everybody. We we work with. I mean, you could help them work through the process. I assume if you're you're just an American, you've never invested in real estate before in Israel. Can you walk them and take care of them, handhold them throughout the whole process? Besides looking at our references and speak to the people that we've spoken to in the past, yes, we handhold for our clients on a regular basis. That starts off often by showing somebody a house, either on YouTube if they're not here, with walkthrough videos and pictures. Sometimes people choose then to come and look at the house physically. Then we often set them up with a, a local lawyer that we feel is comfortable to work with. And then we stay with them through the process. If it's an investor, we're often involved in renting out and managing the home for them. And if they're buying a secondhand home that needs renovations, we also deal with that, bring in the craftsmen that are needed to get the house up to snuff to rent it out and get the best price. Fantastic. All right, guys, listen, this has been absolutely awesome. I'm going to post your information on the website uh, so definitely people can check you out. I'm at I wish you guys continual hatzlacha. I really, you know, if, on a personal level, you know that I love you guys. You guys are awesome. Uh, Yassi, you know, maybe we'll get him on a different interview so we can wrap for us. But well, uh, you, any closing thoughts? I, I don't. I don't. I just want to say that that that's a bit of a loss. You know, Yossi's got his hands full today dealing with some other stuff. Right. But he definitely has got a lot of good insights. So it's an information business. We provide an information service. So we're available. Yossi is available. You know, you can give us a call and uh, just hear about how the whole process works. Excellent. And I guess uh, I assumed also if they're traveling here for the, for the Chagim or just here, stop by the office. You know, you'll take them around, answer any questions. I, I, that's fantastic. All right, guys, this has been an awesome episode. It was incredible uh, learning about you and your stories. Any last minute thoughts before we uh, close this up? You're an inspiration also, oh. you know? <laughs> Listen, the, everybody that's in business in our neighborhood knows you, right? And I, I know that name goes much, much further than our little shtetl in, uh, in, in, in Israel. You know, you have a lot to offer people and we appreciate it. We appreciate this opportunity to speak to, you know, with you and we've always enjoyed, uh, getting advice from you and, uh, we look forward to keeping that relationship alive. Well, I appreciate that and, uh, thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Nachum. <laughs> thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. And, uh, we'll, uh, definitely be in touch. Thank you for listening to the From Entrepreneur Podcast with Nahum Kligman. We hope you learned something valuable and will share this with your friends. For show notes, archives of previous episodes, and more information to help you start and grow your business, please visit our website, www.fromentrepreneur.com. Listen, learn, be Masliach.